Hey, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. I'm Burke Allen. Our sponsor of the show is SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a platform speaker or you're a meeting planner, visit SpeakerMatch.com. Well, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know we're based in the Metro Washington, D.C. area. And as of the recording of this podcast, it has been an unbelievably tense, crazy week here in Washington. And more of that is uh, still to come. And so we wanted to bring in someone who has a long background in dealing with exactly what a lot of folks here in the Washington, D.C. area is going through. Dr. Carol Lieberman is a California-based uh, psychiatrist, and she has dedicated her life since September 11, 2001, to helping families keep calm and carry on. And you can visit her at Dr. Carol, that's Carol with an E.com, or, and I love this, terroristtherapist.com. And she's quick to say she's, she's a therapist. She is not a therapist for terrorists, nor is she is a terrorist. But, uh, Dr. Carol, this is uh, this is something else. We have a whole different flavor in this whole thing that has flared up in America um, and now seems like a, a really important time for your message to keep calm and carry on. Yes. Um, you know, mainly uh, I started with this, as you mentioned, after 9-11 because I'm really a, um, a born and bred New Yorker, uh, transplanted California person. Um, and uh, so the idea was originally I was thinking about uh, radical Islamist type terrorists, you know, 9-11 type terrorists. Sure. But uh, and subsequently, I, I um, you know, I when terrorists have not gone away, even though we're paying attention to coronavirus and uh, elections and, you know, Washington, what you were just saying. But um, there are terrorists, in fact, uh, licking their chops. Uh, waiting to be able to start attacking again, waiting till people are again uh, in places, you know, where there are like a lot of people like concert halls or even out in the streets with pedestrians, but a lot of them together. So, um, yes. So, you know, now we have and we've been seeing actually since early in the year with the uh, Black Lives Matter protests and all that, we've been um, seeing uh, and, and other radical groups, we've been seeing uh, terrorists of a different kind, domestic terrorists, and um, you know when when they're storming down the street, it kind of doesn't matter what their pedigree is uh, in terms of being violent and people getting hurt. Dr. Carol Lieberman is our guest today. She's a psychiatrist, originally a New Yorker, now in California, and uh, we're talking about just the the weird turns of the world and and how to how to deal with it. And one of the things that I love that you've done is you uh, have a book on how to talk to your kids uh, and how to protect them in a time of terror, whether it is domestic or or international. So uh, if you would, give me a couple of tips because I'm a parent and I know many of our listeners are. How do you talk to your kids about what's going on, uh, for example, in America right now? Yes. Um, The name of the book is Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My!, how to protect your child in a time of terror. And the first half of the book is for parents and teachers, and the second half is a picture book for kids that they should then share with their kids. And um, 
one of the things that parents do, whether it's whatever kind of terrorist it is, or even when it's something else that is life-threatening, like just when the coronavirus uh, pandemic started, what a lot of parents do is they're afraid to say the wrong thing, or they're afraid to frighten their kids. And so they prefer to tell themselves, oh, you know, my kids are too young, they don't really understand what this is about, or even if they're older, you know, uh, oh, well, they haven't, they're not paying attention to this. I, I don't really have to bring up this subject that's just going to upset them. Sure. Well, you know, no matter how old your child is, um, they have an awareness of whatever the danger is uh, because of, you know, they're walking through the living room, if not sitting there when the news comes on. Um, they are talking to their friends, texting, looking on the Internet. You know, they really know a lot more or are aware of a lot more than parents realize. Now, they don't necessarily understand it. I mean, it's hard enough for adults to understand, and it's certainly confusing for kids. So they, if you don't start talking to them and, and try to engage them in questions and so on, what would you like to ask me about this? Do you, you know, have you heard about such and such? What would you like to ask me? Or if um, you're all watching news and, and something comes on and um, afterwards it's a perfect time to say, well, let's talk about this. What do, you, what do you know about that? Or what do you think about that? Or how do you feel about that? Um, there, there, you, there are opportunities and you can make opportunities. And that's when the kids, because most kids will not just come out and ask you, uh, or say that they're scared, especially if they get the impression from their parents that they're not supposed to talk about these things. You know, if the parent hasn't begun these conversations, then the kids feel, oh, well, I guess I'm not supposed to ask about this. What about age appropriateness? You know, when is is too young and uh, to engage with them and, and let them know what's going on? You know, if they're real little, I would think that pretty much anything you say would, would just frighten them or confuse them. Well, you know, um, the, my book, um, it's, I, we wrote that the, uh, that the age was um, from 5 to 14. Um, really, it's for any, I mean, it could be older than that. It's just the, the drawings and the picture. Interested. But the reason why it started at five was because that is when kids usually, you know, uh, go to school. And surely uh, they, if, if they aren't being taught, if it's not being talked about at home, um, then they will certainly hear about whatever the, you know, frightening topic is from their schoolmates, which still it holds true, even though in a lot of places kids aren't actually physically going to school, but they're certainly talking to them online and so on. So any, certainly from, from age five is, um, is not too young, any, anything above age five and even below, if it's a child who sees a lot, you know, on television or, or, um, or there's an older sibling in the family, and the older sibling has been talking to the younger child. Um, there's, you know, I, of course, you tailor what you say uh, to their age and their psychological development. You've probably seen Dr. Carol Lieberman on uh, CNN or CBS, NBC, ABC, on, on Fox, MSNBC, uh, heard her on the radio, read about her in the newspaper, and she joins us on the Big Time Talker podcast to talk about how to keep calm and carry on. Um, with with this domestic 
terrorist issue that happened in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th. There are an awful lot of folks out there who have talked about uh, this this concept of the, the rigged or stolen election. Um, and for the most part, Dr. Lieberman, and we have listeners on uh, you know all sides of the political spectrum, and yet there are an enormous amount of Americans who absolutely wholeheartedly believe that. And, and these are... And I am one of them. See, there you go. <laughs> but you, you didn't expect that. Um, yes. You know, I have done, I, I do, um, we're talking about the terrorism. I do a weekly uh, show, a weekly podcast called The Terrorist Therapist Show. So every week I do research and, um, you know, for the hottest topics in terrorism of that week. And I talk about that. And this past week, of course, I talked about the January 6th uh, insurrection, as they like to call it. Right. Um, and, um, and, and all along, you know, in that day, January 6th, I was watching television from morning till night. I heard his speech, uh, uh, President Trump's speech, and, um, and everything, you know, all the, the newscasts and so on. But even way before that, um, I have been keeping up with these different questions about the election. And to be honest with you, um, I, I believe that there was something that uh, happened. In fact, in fact, there are so many, or several, let's put it that way, there are, so, there are several um, things that have been suggested as um as causing the um causing the shenanigans with the elections from the video that most of us saw of boxes being brought in in the middle of the night uh after they claimed that there was a leak and they had to shut it down to all these ballots being found all over the place but there's the one of the more interesting ones um is the uh connection to Italy where a man came forward and said that he was the one who was told to push this button uh IT wise I can't explain it more in detail uh, I'm not an IT expert but basically he was the one with the finger on his finger on the button that pushed the thing that all of a sudden got this explosion of Biden votes now whether or not uh I mean I can't prove it any of these things I mean I saw the videos and so on and read lots of articles but sure um, but, uh, the thing that really was the problem and still is a problem is that it has not been investigated regardless of what, who anybody voted for, they should want to know that the elections are safe and honest, and they should want a thorough investigation of the election. And when January 6th happened, um, well, first of all, before that, uh, different courts around the U.S. wouldn't look at the evidence. And on January 6th, you know, they were supposed to look at the evidence in Congress. Um, and, you know, some of the people there who who stormed the Capitol, um, you know, many, most of them wanted to, I mean, there were some radicals of all different persuasions, but I mean, I don't mean all of them were radicals. Most of them were people who believed um, that the election was stolen and who, you know, if you listen to Trump's speech, uh, he laid out, he kind of summarized some examples of ways in which the election was stolen. And so, if, and he told the people to go to the Capitol. He did not tell them to be violent. He, in fact, he said to be peaceful. And um, and he he didn't tell them to, you know, destroy property or anything. 
so so most of the people who went over there had been you know yes did he um did he get them enthusiastic actually he got it was a very enthusiastic kind of speech in terms of giving people hope that there were all these things that showed that the election was stolen and so when people went over there from his rally they were mostly really optimistic and excited that oh yes they're going to listen to this and they're going to see that there were these problems with the election and they're going to do something to try to fix it and then they went over there and the first thing that happened was pence pence didn't ask for the election to be investigated and they were blindsided by this so you know I, it's just really, I, it, I, it really upsets me. I mean, I have been, um, I really worry about this country. Uh, so many things that, um, you know, we're going in such a wrong direction. And even just look at a simple thing. Uh, after the uh, storming of the Capitol, then the Congress people went in and they didn't hear the evidence, but they continued with the vote. And, um, and they voted, you know, to accept and ultimately to accept all the electors, to accept that Biden won. Right. And and then they voted later on, a few days later, to impeach Trump. Now, these people were psychologically uh, traumatized from what happened in the Capitol. You know, a lot of them felt um, scared for their life. They were they were hiding under tables and all of that. That is not the kind of uh, state of mind that you want your representative to be voting on things in Congress. They should have postponed it. Dr. Carol Lieberman is our guest today. Um, you can visit her online at drcarol.com, and that's Carol with an E at the end, or terroristtherapist.com, because she's done tons of work since September 11, 2001, helping families and individuals come to terms with terrorism. You know, you were absolutely right, Dr. Carol, in that you said, I bet you didn't expect me to feel this way. <laughs> and and I think that's a huge part of the issue that we have in America right now. I assume because you're in Beverly Hills, California, and, and you know, you, you're on TV and you've written all these books and you're on the radio and in, in magazines that you're going to feel a certain way about a certain thing. And I think that's caused an awful lot of Americans uh, to talk over one another and not listen and and have a dialogue like we are right now. Yes, yes, um, yes. I mean, I think I think so many Americans have been kind of whipped up into a frenzy one way or the other. Um, like I, you know, I have a lot of friends who don't necessarily believe the same way that I do. Of course. Uh, um. But, you know, at least we can talk about it. Uh, I'm not necessarily, we don't change each other's minds necessarily, but we talk about it. And it's, you know, sometimes you see a little bit of the person, the other person's point in regard to one thing, and they see your point in regard to something else. Um, but, you know, it should be this kind of uh, in, in conversation, a kind of um, interest, a curiosity, you know, um, not just rage. And as somebody who's studied terrorism and terrorist tendencies for 20 years, do you feel like those rioters that, that broke into the Capitol, uh, would you classify them as domestic terrorists? Well, you know, it, actually, that was what my show was called, um, Storming the Capitol, Terrorists or Patriots. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and, you know, um, 
I mean, I think the problem is that there, because there were some people there who were violent and there were some people there who were from various radical groups, uh, you know, it's hard to lump. There certainly were people there who were patriots and who loved this country and, you know, who have like this woman who flew on a private plane to get. I mean, there were there were people of all different socioeconomic uh, levels and different jobs. And it was just um, a mixture. And, but I think for the most part, it was people, not you know necessarily the violent people, but it was people who really loved this country, wanted the election to be investigated. And um, I mean, if someone doesn't have anything to hide, like what would have been the loss um, to investigate it? Why? That, how would that have hurt anybody? What about the role of the media? And you and I are both part of the media, uh, as well as social media. In, in terrorism, whether it be what happened here in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, or uh, when you, you hear these horrible stories about Americans who were radicalized by Islamic terrorists, what is the role of the media and social media and all that? Well, that's, you know, that is the um, big question right now. I mean, up until now, um, certainly the mainstream media really is not, are not fans of Trump. Um, even Fox uh, has kind of turned some, not everybody on Fox, um, there's Tucker Carlson and all that and Laura Ingram and uh, Hannity. Um, but other than that, a lot of the people have kind of turned against Trump. That was the one station, mainstream station that you could turn to for, to have that balance. Um, and now of course there's OANN and there's uh, Newsmax, um, you know, and those are great stations too. Uh, just not as easily accept- accessible to a lot of people, but, but I think, you know, people have been, it's propaganda. People have been brainwashed by the things that they have heard in the mainstream media. Um, and, you know, now with, with uh, tech companies, that's the really the scariest part. Because even regardless of who you voted for or what you believe in, to have um, big, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all these big tech companies uh, be able to ban not only the president, but anybody else who they feel like, you know, uh, who's who they where they don't like what they're posting. That is if that if that's 1984. And uh, and and just today there were some articles about how um, Jack from uh, Twitter was saying that President Trump was just the beginning, you know, that there's going to be a lot more of banning uh, on Twitter. And um and so, you know, if, if the mainstream media is telling you one thing and uh, the, the tech companies are cutting out any other kind of way of thinking um, besides basically what the mainstream media says. And now we have, I'm sure you know, um, AOC saying she wants to create what amounts to a ministry of truth, like exactly what they had in 1984, you know, with, with the coronavirus. And I was one of them. A lot of people were talking about uh, how, you know, with all the lockdowns and all of that, the mandates, that it's like 1984. And um, and how, you know, it just keeps getting more and more like 1984. Do you buy into, in your professional opinion as a psychiatrist, do you buy into the notion that um, President Trump's inflammatory remarks on Twitter or uh, even more extreme voices on uh, social media platforms are bad for this country or should free speech trump all? Um, I think there is a big uh, 
area, a big gap between the kinds of things. Well, first of all, I think the president of any country should not be banned from social media. I mean, that's that, that's where, where I was starting to go also, that um, that to have private companies be able to ban the president of the United States, even Biden. I mean, they're not going to ban Biden, but let's just say, even if it were Biden, I mean, how do you have a private company or in companies ban the president of, of the United States? That's just, you know, we're talking about China and Russia and, um, I mean, you know, that kind of total totalitarianism. Um, it's really, it's really, uh, and there's nobody apparently at this point uh, stopping them. You know, that they, they should, it's a little bit of putting the genie back in the bottle. It's not easy, but uh, and they've talked about, you know, 230 and all of that. And they had them in the, the, the presidents of these different companies, but, but they didn't do anything about it. They didn't limit their power in any way. And I think that free speech, I mean, yes, if it's something blatantly like, you know, like you might see from ISIS terrorists um, or other kinds of radical groups, you know, if it's something really blatant, you know, um, uh, we we have stones, we have, you know, like with direct with directions. I mean, we have on social media, not necessarily Twitter, but uh, more sort of um well, like the dark web or something. They, I mean, we do have all kinds of instructions for making bombs and and all that. I'm not saying that they're on. I mean, I don't, I don't know. To, to my knowledge, in any case, I don't know that they're on Twitter or Facebook. But, um, but I think we should go in the direction of not limiting free speech, um, and except for really extreme things, instructions, dates. Um, and and what and what Trump said in that on that day of the rally that morning was not uh, was not a direct uh, instruction to to go there and do what people did. If you're just joining us, our guest is Dr. Carol Lieberman. She's a Beverly Hills-based psychiatrist uh, and also is known as the terrorist therapist. She's been working since 9/11 to help families and individuals deal with and cope with uh, just the craziness that happens in our world. And, uh, boy, it sure reared its ugly head on, on January 6th. Her motto is keep calm and carry on, and I love that. And you can find her online at Dr. Carol, that's Carol with an E, dot com, or terroristtherapist.com. Um, Dr. Lieberman, there are some folks, and, and frankly, I would be among them, who get a little wistful and harken back to the days when we got our information from Sort of a, a trusted source, a, a Walter Cronkite, for example, yeah. and, and there yeah. weren't, you know, these hundreds of different sort of, you know, deviations of information. I'm not sure we can ever get back to that, but but was that a better system where it was really all right down the middle of the road, and there was very little uh, interpretation by the folks that that gave us our information? Yes, and where um, journalists really put in the work to be journalists. You know, they weren't um, they weren't putting their own. I mean, that was the big set. It was I don't know, still I guess it still is in some places, but um, not the majority. I mean, the whole idea of being a journalist is to not let your own um, opinions color how you report the news. And that is not happening now. It's people are letting their own opinions color how they report the news. In fact, that's what it is. 
Let me let me ask you this question um, because I think this will resonate with an awful lot of our listeners. Um, and I should tell you, Dr. Lieberman, I'm originally a West Virginia boy. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains. I still have mm. many, many personal and business relationships there. That is very solidly Trump country, um, whereas where I live now, Washington, D.C., completely the other end of the spectrum. And, mm-hmm. and it's no more than a couple of hundred miles apart. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it ideologically is a thousand, a million miles apart. How do you work with individuals to help them have relationships with folks who have, in some cases, extremely opposing views, whether it's a husband and a wife, you know, a, an adult child and, and an older parent, and they're just in a whole different place. How do you counsel them to come together and, and put all that, that uh, divisiveness aside? Well, humor <laughs> and not trying, trying not to, uh, to talk about these things that you know will inflame the other person. Um, my mother <laughs> and my daughter both are Biden, or I should say anti-Trump people. Got it. Um, All right. And I, we would just kind of make jokes about it. I, mean, I don't know that they thought it was as funny as I did, but... <laughs> But, you know, that's the humor helps everything, really. And um, I mean, you have to if you want to, if you love these people and you want to be still be friends with people and you still want to have to work with people. I mean, it has been hard. I mean, you probably know that like a, a lot of marriages, I mean, it's a combination of being locked down because of coronavirus and then having potentially different, uh, strong, different political views. A lot of there's a, a huge rise in the number of people who are filing for divorce, um, and then also at work it can be hard. And of course, with people mostly on Zoom and so on, it that puts somewhat of a safety net in between. Um, but yeah, you just ha- you have to you know you have to realize do I do I care about this person enough to not like to not let these kinds of differences um, come between us. So the old adage of, you know, don't talk about politics and religion is certainly is apropos. And in your mind, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, you know, you can every every situation is a little different, but, you know, you can you can talk about it. Um, you, there are limits and, and the limit is different depending upon the two people, you know. But um, like I was saying with friends and so on, I mean, you can in a perfect world, you w- should be able to talk somewhat. But then when it gets a little too, you know, when one person gets a little too heated uh, about it or too angry that you're not being convinced to believe what they believe, uh, then you have to back away. Dr. Carol Lieberman is our guest and uh, you can find her online at Dr. Carol. That's Carol with an E. Dot com. She's written a book for kids, um, <laughs> Lions and Tigers and Terrorists. Oh, my. And I love that. And you can find out more at TerroristTherapist.com or DrCarol.com. You know, we, we've mentioned uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus, and that has sort of been, uh, you know, eclipsed in the headlines uh, in the wake of what happened yeah. January 6th. But uh, that continues to be a real issue, and it, it seems – in the coverage of that in the media that much of that coverage happens in a vacuum where certainly the the media folks will talk about how horrible it is and certainly where you are in Los Angeles County it's really rough but mm-hmm. they don't give the the entire picture of how you know severe lockdowns have 
amazingly awful psychological consequences to many of the people who are going through that. And I wonder, as somebody who lives right there in California that's been so hard hit, what you're seeing around you in terms of the psychological damage that it's doing to people with these lockdowns. There is no question but that um, these lockdowns have really and continue to really harm people. Uh, Before coronavirus ever existed, um, or at least before the pandemic came, before we knew about it, uh, there were studies done about loneliness and about isolation. And they proved that people who were put into situations where they were isolated and lonely, um, that had enormous consequences, physical consequences and psychological consequences, physical like heart attacks and strokes, and of course, stress on the immune system, weakening the immune system, and then psychological anxiety, depression, PTSD, you know, suicide. Um, I mean, there was just a story today about someone who committed suicide in New York, jumping from a very luxury building. I mean, they hadn't really... when I read the article, they hadn't really, uh, or they weren't saying who it was and what the details were, but still, I mean, there are more and more people, um, we're not that who we don't hear about, you know, if it's not something sort of, uh, catchy, then we don't hear about it, but there are lots of people. In fact, after the lockdowns was when the calls to suicide hotlines rose. It wasn't the pandemic itself. It wasn't the beginning of the pandemic. It was just when they did the lockdowns. And, you know, I not only have an MD as a psychiatrist, but I also, after after medical school, after psychiatry residency, um, I went to school to get a master's in public health. And I also received a, a grant from the NIMH, and I studied how to use the media to educate people about um, physical and psychological health, health issues. And in in public health 101 they teach you uh that you should never when you're trying to get the population to do certain health behaviors you know when there's some kind of a uh, a disease or you know whatever the health issue is if you're trying to get people to listen and do something to protect themselves um you never should use threats or punishment um you should be using things that get them to feel like we're all in this together and and give them positive steps to take. And that from the beginning has not been what has happened. It has been gloom and doom and it has been statistics and it's been, you know, all these mandates you have to, you know, give, giving people um, fines, thousand dollar fines if they walk in the park, uh, all kinds of these, these draconian mandates. And, and look, you know, one of the most one of the most obvious ways of seeing this is uh, they did they lots of mayors and and um, governors said cancel Thanksgiving, cancel Christmas, and cancel New Year's. So what happened? More people than ever flew um, for Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. Uh, not just you know going to each other's homes. I mean they, they did that too, but really the shock was how many people were flying. And it makes total sense if you think about it. They're rebelling against sure. all these mandates. If you're supposed to stay in your home, what's the most? Uh, what's the thing that you can do to rebel the most? And that is to fly away. So a lot of it comes down to the way it's said and the messaging. And and you're right. I think there was a, a brief shining moment 
in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic where people came together and then the, the heavy handedness uh, began to descend upon the land. Yes. I, um, I wonder if you have a thought sort of on, on America's psyche as a whole right now, because I would have to think uh, people are feeling pretty beat up and battered between what's happening in politics and in Washington and COVID on top of it. Uh, give us a report card. How are we doing? And, and if it's not good, what do we do to get it better? Uh, no, it is not good. Um, you know, we have been having crisis fatigue because uh, that we have had one crisis after the other and no room in between to take a breath or to heal. So when someone goes into a crisis, like, for example, you know, a terror attack, um, the people who are hurt most in terror attacks are, and I don't mean physically, psychologically hurt most, are people who started with a very fragile mental state. And so that's what we what we have, you know, in, in the next crisis and the next crisis has been a more and more fragile mental state. Um, what I did was to um, have, I developed, I mean, I've been, you know, trying to help people since uh, the beginning of this pandemic, um, doing a lot of radio and television and and trying to help people get through it. And so I eventually developed an anagram to help people remember the things that they should do every day to build their immune system and to build their uh, psychological stamina. And the anagram is heal myself. So each letter stands for something that people should do every day. So the H is healthy, nutritious food. The E uh, is exercise. You know, if you can walk outside in the sun, that would be best. Otherwise, at least you can do something like dancing in your living room. A is aromatherapy. Uh, Candles or plants with flowers putting them around your house. Then L um, is laughter. Everybody should have at least one hour of laughter a day. You know, Norman Cousins did that when he was diagnosed with a potentially terminal illness. He was in the hospital and he watched uh, funny movies every moment that he was awake and he cured himself. Um, Then let's heal. Then myself, M, um, M is meditation or calming music. Y is your choice of vitamins and supplements. S is sleep. We need to try to get at least eight hours of sleep. E is engage with friends and family. Uh, L is limit the number of hours of gloom and doom that you take in. And F is follow your passion. I like it. I like that anagram. These are all good common sense things we can do and probably all should be doing right now. Maybe we need to get you back here to Washington and uh, you could do some, some therapy for the people on the Hill. I think they could use it. <laughs> yes, actually, I tweeted that about how I would love to do group therapy. Ah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> for the people on the Hill and, uh, you know, calm them down and, and get them to think more rationally. So when you're not writing these books about terrorism, you do other things that are a, a little more uh, one-on-one, including books like Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, and How to Live <laughs> With Them, and When to Leave Them. And uh, so you are a, a lady with many, many experiences and a lot to bring to the table. And, and Dr. Lieberman, I love that you are not who I thought you would be. I love that we had this conversation. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. <laughs>
Thank you so much for taking the time. If you want to visit Dr. Carol Lieberman online, it's Dr. Carol, that's Carol with an E, drcarol.com or terrorist therapist. And uh, listen, stay safe out there and stay healthy and come back and visit us again, okay? Thank you so much. That's Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm Burke Allen for the Big Time Talker Podcast, brought to you by Speaker Match. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make it a great day. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.